Welcome to the My Breast, My Health podcast. My name is Tasha Gandhi and I'm a breast cancer surgeon with over a decade's worth of experience. I created this podcast as a place where those who have been affected by breast cancer can connect with each other, share experiences, and learn from each other's life stories. I will also have conversations with experts in the field of medicine, as well as the health and wellness space. So if you want to learn more about this topic, then this is the place to be. The aim of this podcast is simple, to create a community where everyone feels empowered to help each other and support one another. This is because I truly believe that together we are stronger. I'm really happy to spend this time with you. So let's start build a community. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Now a big part of what I do as a breast surgeon is break bad news to people and no, it does not get any easier. In that consultation room, when I tell someone they have breast cancer, their life changes forever. All of a sudden, I'm giving them information that may be difficult to understand to begin with. And the honest truth is, most of this may not be listened to anyway, because of course, they've just been told they have cancer. At this crucial time, that person needs as much support as possible. And this is where a breast cancer specialist comes in. In the UK, any person diagnosed with breast cancer should have assigned to them a breast cancer, which is there to support them through their treatment and beyond. And in today's episode, I talk to Sally Shanley, who works as a breast cancer specialist. She shares her experiences of having worked as a breast cancer specialist for many years, and she gives advice on the best way to cope with the breast cancer diagnosis and ways to move forward. So I hope you enjoy this episode, my conversation with Sally Shanley. Hi, Sally. Thanks very much for coming onto the podcast. You and I work closely together and you're always there to support those who have been diagnosed with breast cancer from the time of their diagnosis through their treatment and beyond. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do? I see my role as a key worker for those patients or patient advocate. So really as a, as a core, the linchpin for that patient going through the, the pathway that, that they're going to embark upon. So it's supporting patients at all stages of that pathway, being the really the one person that they know is going to be constant throughout that pathway. And I think if you look at how many people a patient may come into contact with during that pathway, I suspect it's many hundreds probably. And so that to have one person that is the the link in the midst of all of that, I think is quite important for patients. So your background is nursing. Mm-hmm. And did you have to go through any specialist training to become a breast cancer specialist? So nurses coming into the profession now qualify with a basic nursing degree and then go on to do speciality training as the time goes on. Whereas it happened in the other way around for us nurses that have been around more years in that we didn't do a degree-based training initially. We've tended to do our specialist training later on as we've gone through. So I, I, I did do some specialist nurse training. I did mine at the Royal Marsden and I spent a year there back in the late 1990s, mid-1990s, and did a course purely about breast cancer nursing. 
but was already on the job at the time. Right. Why do you think it's important for those who have breast cancer to have an advocate such as yourself? I think it's quite easy to maybe get lost in the system. Some patients are um, happy to be done, and this is a generalisation, some patients are happy to be done too and wait for things to happen rather than chase them up. And I think part of our role is to support patients through the process Mm -hmm. to provide appropriate and relevant information to them that's personalised to their disease and their situation. There's so much of a plethora of information out there nowadays, more and more and more. And some of it, I think if patients, it's very easy to go off piste when you're looking up information. And I think patients can get so involved and and down the line with something that maybe isn't actually about them or their type of cancer or their disease. So I think initially it's supporting them in they may be somebody that doesn't want information mm-hmm. or there may be somebody that wants lots and lots of information. I often ask patients, are you an information seeker? And if somebody says, yes, I, I like information, it's then supporting them on, on where to go to the right resources. When I have somebody in my clinic who has been diagnosed with breast cancer, for mm-hmm. example, so I will tell them that they have breast cancer and at some point they will then have a conversation with you. What things do you talk to them that is different to when I see them in my clinic? So those conversations are sometimes they're just scraping the person up and supporting them. and sometimes Emotionally. Emotionally. And sometimes that's all they can take at that current moment. They've heard the word cancer and they just completely and utterly close off. So really my, at that time, it's either giving them space. So sometimes we go and sit in another room and we say absolutely nothing. Right. And I may sit and just maybe hold a hand or not hold a hand or give a hug if they want a hug. So the the, the space is, is very important at that time. Other patients will just completely unload. What's this? What's that? What's going to happen? What did she say? I've forgotten what the consultant said. Can you clarify that for me? So it's probably pairing it right back, pretending they haven't had that conversation and starting again. Okay. And you give sense. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing what, I think seeing what they've taken in. Yes. And it's also not just the patient you have to remember. Often they've got someone with them. So they might have a husband or a a partner or a a friend or a mum or... So it's supporting them as well. And very often, quite often, the loved one or the friend with them needs often as much support as the patient themselves. Because you said earlier that you are the linchpin. So Mm -hmm. you are, I guess, the common person throughout the patient's pathway from the time of their diagnosis through their treatment and Mm -hmm. beyond. You give them your contact details, Mm -hmm. albeit, you know, an email address Mm -hmm. or phone number. That is an extremely important contact because they know there is somebody at the end of this phone number or email that they can contact to ask for help, to have a chat about whatever it is that they're worried about. How do you maintain that day-to-day communication with them? It's changed over the years. Oh, hands up now. I've been breast care nurse for about 24 years now. So I'm interested how it's changed quite a lot in that time. We've seen a lot of progress. Well, 
progress or change? I we guess. did have the telephone in those days. <laughs> Just about. Yeah. <laughs> but not the mobile, right? The I had... I had a landline when I first started and patients would contact that. I'd ring them back. That's how we communicated. Or face-to-face. Used to make quite a lot of appointments or on the telephone. Quite a lot of the work is actually not face-to-face. Quite a lot is done on the phone. But now I I think a number of patients, more and more patients now, want want to use email WhatsApp, maybe. I'm very wary of text messages because of sort of confidentiality and things. But certainly WhatsApp we use quite a lot with patients and we use email quite a lot. And I think sometimes some of those methods can be a bit less intrusive because if if you're ringing a patient up... So I, I, use, a, I use a system that I call wellbeing calls that every now and then I'll think, haven't heard from Mrs. So-and-so, I'll have a list that I would go through of current patients and I'll think, I haven't seen Mrs. Jones recently. I'll give her a call and see how she is, anything doing, anything she needs. That could be quite intrusive with the telephone. You have to think about the time of day. Are children going to be around? Is she going to be in a busy office? And so I think probably using something like WhatsApp or an email... It's probably a little bit easier and convenient for all of us in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think it probably fits into the more fast-paced, modern living we are well, living in. It fits in. into the way I, I communicate with most of my friends mm. and family now, nobody, unfortunately. Nobody picks up the phone anymore, do they? My mum does. Okay. <laughs> um, and my mum still picks up the landline. Oh, really? Uh, um, who has a landline And, and that's really frustrating, mom? you know, because we want to get rid of the landline. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think more and more, and that's interesting I should say that, because quite a lot of the older patients of that, maybe that generation, are still good with the phone. Yes. Well, some of them use email and things. To have that facility for patients is mm. game-changing. Because it makes it more f- more flexible. Absolutely. It makes it more flexible. Yeah. They have that security to know that there is somebody who can answer their questions, mm. allay their fears if necessary, mm. and you know make an appointment to see whoever they need to see mm. if, if required. Mm. Talking about that security, we do see you know, patients coming through their treatment. And throughout that process, we see them a lot. They will have multiple clinic visits. They'll probably see you a few times as well. Mm-hmm. If it's pre-surgery, then they'll, they'll have their pre-assessments and consenting. Mm-hmm. Post-surgery, they'll come for a wound check. Then if they have, say, chemotherapy, they come regularly, similarly for radiotherapy and mm-hmm. so on. That whole pathway can be quite long. And we see patients at the end of their treatment and they come to see us in the clinic and suddenly things just hit them. And to know that they don't actually have to come back Mm. to see us in clinic for another six months or 12 months, it's it's a good thing because they've completed their treatment and now they have to try to live with that new mm. normal for them. It's a very classic thing that we and I think we've identified it in more recent years. I mean, the Americans sort of call it survivorship. And I think what we tend to call it moving forward in this country, because I think it's looking forward. And there's the classic 
build-up. And I think as professionals, we're as guilty of it as the patients in the build-up. You know, it's going to be your last treatment next week. Mm. Um, I'm based on the chemotherapy unit, so I meet patients throughout their chemo. And they build up and up and up to this big day when they're going to finish their chemo. They even ring a bell now. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I'm not sure about the bell ringing either. And so they, they ring this bell and that's it and mm. that's done and that's treated. And they're high as kites, they go home, they celebrate and it's all done and finished. And then we say, we'll see you in three months. Fab, haven't got to go back to the hospital for three months. And then two, three, four weeks into it, all of a sudden, wham, everything yeah. hits them. So what, what can we do to you know, support those to try to move forward? Because this is something that mm. I think is extremely important. Mm. Um, I've heard uh, somebody mentioned the other day that they were not prepared for the emotional no, and absolutely. mental impact. You know, forget about the physical impact of surgery, yeah. but the mental and emotional impact of a breast cancer diagnosis was really not particularly discussed well they haven't had the time so if that treatment process has been on average sometimes it's up to a year they're busy they've got this appointment they've got that appointment if they're trying to look after the family if they're working in the middle of it as well and it's just surviving in that year and to me that's the survivorship part of it Mm -hmm. is getting through that year it's moving on from that year when all of a sudden the time is hanging. They they haven't got an appointment for three or four weeks or maybe three months. Who are they going to go to? Who mm-hmm. are they going to call? Who are they going to speak to if something worries them? Do they save that worry up until they see somebody or is it okay to bother somebody? So do you help them in trying to move forward? I hope so. I think I think what we probably need to do more now is prepare patients for that moving forward time. And how do you do that? So what you don't want to be is too negative. So you don't want to make them think, oh, I'm not looking forward to that. That's going to be awful. But I think it is warning them a little that there will be a period of almost let down. An old phrase, I don't know whether it's a general phrase, an old phrase we've always had in our family is the morning after the Lord Mayor's show. Right. So the Lord Mayor's show is colourful, bright, exciting, your centre of attention. And then all of a sudden... Everybody else is going to carry on their normal lives. The kids have gone back to school. Your partner's carrying on working. And then all of a sudden, there you are. And in a way, I think there's a lot now about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And you know, it's almost reminiscent. Some of the side effects that patients experience are a bit reminiscent of PTSD. And I've been supporting a friend who's had a diagnosis of PTSD from having been in intensive care on and off over many months. And she's experienced, and I'm recognising some of the things in her flashbacks, lethargy, anxiety about going out, and in a funny way, actually not wanting those hospital appointments because they're afraid of what they might be told at them, but wanting them because they want to be reassured. You know, moving forward is so important. Mm. And how do you help them moving forward? I think information, advice. I meet with, I offer, I don't insist, you can't insist. I offer, for want of a better word, an appointment for to look at moving forward. So they have 
an hour to two hours, usually two hours when we sit and we, every single appointment with every patient in that process has been totally different. So some, it may be that their relationship's been affected, their work has been affected, they are concerned about maybe menopausal side effects and treatments, their body image has changed, their relationship with their kids. And I've tried to semi-script those appointments so that I'm ticking the boxes and discussing each thing. And I haven't been able to, because every patient has totally different needs at that point. Do you talk to patients about what to look out for and the red flags and, you know, what things you should worry about, things you shouldn't worry about? I usually ask them, do you want to know? particularly with the fact that we tend to sort of many centres are discharging patients Mm -hmm. fairly quickly after completion of treatment. I usually say to patients, do you want to know what to look out for? They should know, really, should they? Absolutely. But you have to have a very careful line that you don't frighten them. And you can guarantee you'll sit there and you'll say, you know, okay, so if you want to know about things we're looking at, we're looking at somebody that's got a long-term backache that won't settle, a cough that won't settle. And nearly 75% of patients will say, but I've got a cough, but my back aches. But then what you have to do is turn that back on itself and say, tell me about that cough. Oh, well, it's good little Fred had a cold last week. And you say, well, then there's a reason for that cough. And tell me about your back. Oh, I've had that for about 30 years and it comes on and off. So initially you may bring their alarm up a little bit by giving the information. And then you want to try and temper that fear with making sure they have adequate information of what to do about it. If they have got an ongoing symptom that is continu- that is continuing to get worse has been long-standing. Because something that maybe signifies a recurrence or a metastatic breast cancer is not going to come and go. Yeah. It's not going to get better. It's going to increase gradually more and more and more. That kind of brings us to an important topic, really, about those who have got secondary disease mm-hmm. or metastatic breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And recent research suggests that many patients who have secondary breast cancer, metastatic breast cancer, or cancer that has spread, do not feel or feel significantly less supported by the specialist nurse compared to when they were diagnosed uh, with the primary breast cancer. What are your thoughts about that? I think that information's come from a number of sources, from a couple of the cancer charities that did a lot of work on it, and from the National Cancer Patient Survey. I am and always have been passionate that I think we should be supporting patients throughout their pathway or somebody should be supporting them if they get a metastatic breast cancer or a recurrence of their disease. Some units will have a metastatic disease nurse specialist, and other units, really depending on how those units function, will have all the breast care nurses are able to support the patients the whole way through the pathway. And I think that patients have often said to me, that even at the time, you know, trying to tell somebody at the time that they get a primary diagnosis, that that's possibly the worst day of their life, telling patients that they've got a diagnosis that this cancer is now not curable, is probably up there with the first or has overtaken. And I think it's so important that they get support at that time, because I think they can feel very let down by the service that supported them so well in the first place. Mm. And so I think, again, it's very much the same. It's signposting, it's supporting patients, it's supporting emotional issues, but then it's also looking at practical issues of sort of symptom management, talking to children, telling families. And, you know, there's a whole 
big area around that and I don't I think certainly if sadly you know that this may be the last part of that patient's pathway and that they are are very sick and, and may well not survive the sooner you start that work with somebody in their family the better mm. People are living with secondary breast cancer oh, for many, many years. Absolutely. And it doesn't, you know, and I think that's another important message to get across at that point. Whereas in the past, when I first started in breast care nursing, many of these patients, given a diagnosis of secondary breast cancer, had a limited prognosis. But now many of these patients may have be living in spite of and with their cancer. Absolutely. And I think it's important to get that across. Exactly. And also all the more reason why they really should have better support from a specialist yeah. nurse. And, and support to access benefits, financial support. Ins- you know, they might have questions about insurance and really really practical things some of them as well that are really crucial to them and may make a big difference to them. How do you support the side effects of treatment? I think most of it is acknowledging side effect. Again I think we were very poor in the past in that we'd Here's your tamoxifen. This is the wonder drug. You know, you've got a bit of hot flush. Well, I mean, and I have heard doctors and nurses say, well, you've got some hot flushes. Well, you're lucky you're alive type thing. Uh, And I have heard that. Not maybe quite so callously, but not far off. And I think now we have to acknowledge that some of those side effects can be completely debilitating. Mm. And I think that we have to acknowledge them. We have to signpost people to appropriate information, to support, to products, whether there's simple, practical ways to manage some of the side effects. Like menopausal symptoms. Like menopausal symptoms, so hot flushes. Sexual concerns. Sexual concerns, vaginal dryness, you know, things like that 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 make a big difference to people's lives. And we don't we don't I don't think they are talked about enough to be honest with you. No, I don't think they are and I think I think a lot of us we put our own values on on what's going on. And I think there's still a little bit of an element of what are you worrying about you can't have sex well you've survived cancer. Yeah. You lucky, you know, you're lucky. Yeah. Just be grateful you can live with your husband let alone have sex as well. But that to some people might be really really Absolutely. important yes. and might be the crux of their relationship. Absolutely. We have to read we have to be very up on things that are around. You have to know local services. I think particularly as a breast CNS, something I've always found really, really important is get to know the area you're working in. Where can you advise people to go? Where are the really good health food shops? Not just the average ones, but one where they can go up to someone and say, this is the problem I'm having. Could you advise so-and-so? Yeah. Where are the good swimming pools where people could go to do some exercise where are the good citizens advice bureaus to go for financial support knowing local psychologists counsellors so there's lots of charities out there so you know that there's access to groups for younger patients with breast cancer now and I think they're really really important there's access to groups for patients that want to look at moving forward and recovery and things like that there's groups that focus on exercise Um, there's a dragon boat group in London now where patients go and they do dragon boat racing but of course it's all for 
breast patients. So they're, they're getting mutual support at the same time as weekends away for younger women. So that there's a, there's a plethora. But I think sometimes you have to be a little bit wary and know the services that sure. you're referring people to. That's really helpful. And what I'll do is I'll leave the links of, for all of these resources mm. um, in the show notes for this episode. Sally, thank you so much. I think it's been a really, really interesting chat. Do you have any advice for anybody who either has recently been diagnosed with breast cancer or is currently going through treatment or is now post-treatment and currently living with a diagnosis? Or been told they've got a secondary diagnosis. Absolutely. Utilise every, every resource you can. Something I've learnt from patients is if families offer support, say yes, please, and friends offer support, say yes, please. Because if you turn them down, they often often don't answer again. But I think also use your support that you have within your setup, so your breast care nurse, but also making use of the charities. Breast Cancer Care, which is now Breast Cancer cancer Now, they have breast care nurses exactly the same as myself. And sometimes that might be nice for somebody to speak to a breast care nurse that they don't have to look in the eye next time they come to clinic because they might want to ring them something about completely off the wall or they might want what we call a second opinion or some, uh, you know, some advice about is that the best treatment to be offered or... And so I think use everything that's out there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sally, for your time and um, see you later. Pleasure. Thank you so much once again to Sally for a great conversation and also for all the advice she has given us. If you would like to check out the show notes, then do go to www.mybreastmyhealth.com forward slash episode nine. Now, if you enjoyed this episode or if you are enjoying the podcast in general, then I have a small favor to ask. I would be ever so grateful if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And this will actually help support me produce episodes every other week for the pod and also help others at the same time. I have some really interesting interviews already lined up for you. So do subscribe as well if you haven't done so already, so you don't miss out. Thanks so much once again for listening and see you in the next one. Take care. Bye.